0: Good morning, everyone. Did everybody uh, have a good Valentine's Day this weekend? Yeah, well, no, it sounds like it's pretty bad. Yeah, Lee. Uh, Valentine's Day can be a difficult, uh, difficult thing. It's a real challenge. You gotta be on your A-game, you know. There's a lot of expectations. Everything's riding on that and what the gifts you get and all that stuff. But I'm glad, I'm glad you made it through this weekend. Hopefully you did. It's, uh, it's awful good to see everybody this morning. Uh, so last week, we, we started a sermon series called Little Foxes. And of course, there's a verse in Scripture in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It says that you must catch the little foxes, those little foxes that spoil the vine. And, uh, and, and we're, we're going to get into the second uh, part of that series. Now, this, this message, honestly, if I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, Lord, hey, I'm going I'm to do a, a sermon series. I'm about to preach about something that if I had my druthers... I would not preach about it. Amen. And that is, I'm going to preach about marriage this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about marriage. And some of y'all are like, my Lord, this young man up here trying to give me marriage advice. I know how it is. I've tried to give marriage advice before and it didn't work out that well. But regardless, let's not look at it as if it's coming from me. Let's look at it as if it's coming from the Word of God. Let's look at it, if it as if the Holy Spirit has something to impart to all of us this morning, regardless if we're married, if we're not married. The, the Word of God, Scripture, has the ability to go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and speak to every person regardless of who it comes to. Would you agree with that? Amen. So that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to get into the Word, and we're going to talk about some little foxes. And the title of this message is going to be Gardens and Waterpots. And and I want you to turn uh, to the book of Genesis. I'm going to read several verses out of chapter 2, and and we'll get right into it. We'll read these verses, and then we'll pray together. So Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend... And keep it. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones. "...and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed." And then in chapter 3, verse 1, immediately after you see them in the Garden of Eden together, it says, "...now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made." And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. And Lord, this morning, as, as we just we discuss a subject that I have no doubt is near to your heart. But oftentimes I think sometimes, God, there's there, there are different things that uh, maybe we steer away from because it makes us uncomfortable sometimes. And and, and and Lord, but this is an area, God, When we talk about family when we talk about marriage, God, we need so much grace. We need so much help in this because Lord Jesus, I believe that you have designed it so that the family, God, becomes, becomes the channel through which you pour out your blessing to the world and you change the world. And so Lord, help us, God. We pray for our families this morning. We pray for each marriage this morning. God, we pray for our single folks this morning. We pray for each and every individual in our relationships, God, would you teach us how to love one another, Lord, the same way that you love us. And God, that we we would become a refle- reflection of that love that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Y'all good this morning? Come live with me this morning. All right. So we're in uh, we're in Genesis chapter two and we're talking about uh, obviously marriage. You, and you read that you read that scripture and you see the first marriage between Adam and Eve. We know uh, that Adam is the Hebrew word for man. Eve is the is the Hebrew word for life. So God is saying this is the picture of human life and how it is supposed to operate. But it also, in Genesis, you find out the reason that human life becomes so hard, so difficult. You find out that human life is full of sin and and deception. And there's there's enemies that we face every single day that are trying to infiltrate the garden of our hearts. And when God creates man and woman, He places them in a garden called Eden. Now Eden, in in the Hebrew language, means pleasure. It means delight. It even means luxurious. And the point is, is that when God created man and woman, when he created humanity, he placed them in a garden and he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you to experience the fullness of my pleasure. And as long as you remain in this communion and in this relationship with me, you're going to be able to make this garden grow in such a way that it reflects my glory, it reflects my goodness, it reflects my love. And you're just going to continue to grow this beautiful garden and you're going to experience experience the greatest pleasure and luxury that my kingdom has to offer because of what I've given you. But see, here's here's the thing. He gave them a mandate whenever they were placed in the garden and he says, look, I've given you dominion over the entire earth. What happens in this earth, what happens in the world around you is up to you. I've placed you here, put made you in my image and given you dominion and said, you guys got to make sure that you watch over this garden. You grow good stuff up in it. Remember the, the mandate that he gave them. He said, you've got to tend this garden and you've got to keep it. In other words, you've got to cultivate it. You've got to make sure that no weeds grow up in this garden. You can't allow any kind of bitterness or hatred or resentment or any of these things grow up in this garden, but you've got to uproot those weeds that are growing in the garden. you got to grow good fruit in this garden. He said, but not only that, you you got to keep the garden. You have to protect the garden so that nothing from the outside that is not supposed to be here gets in. Amen. And he's given you, he's given us an illustration of the human heart. He's given us an illustration of our lives, of our hearts, and even of our relationships. What we should protect, what we should cultivate, what we should grow in our hearts and in our lives. Because the same way that Jesus looks to plant the seed of the word of God in your heart, let me tell you something. Satan is very intentional about planting wicked seed in your heart through the process of this world and everything else that's going around. And he is trying to plant that wicked seed in your heart. So that there's division in relationships so that marriages are destroyed so that children fa- face all kinds of heartbreak and loss and destruction. He's trying to plant that wicked seed. But we have the word of God, folks, and it is incorruptible seed and we can plant it in our hearts and we can grow a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. And we can see the love of God in our lives and in our relationships. You say amen to that. See, the thing about God is this. And here's what you need to understand. We talk about Christianity and maybe even some of the most important things. We talk about revival and people talk about, man, we need a revival in the church. We need a revival in the church. I can promise you this. Real revival will not happen in the church until it is first happening in the home. Right. Y'all got that one, right? Amen. Amen. God designed the church to be in, in a certain order, but, but you, do you understand that parents have the responsibility of raising their children in a godly way so that the, the culture is actually impacted, not because we have really cool churches or really good places to go to and worship on Sunday, but we have churches filled with people who so are in love with God that you can see it when you go to their house on Monday night. Amen. The church carries over into their homes and they begin to raise their children in a godly manner. And when you look at their marriage, it reflects God's love for his church. And you start to see this taking place because when you when you see this, this is what the Bible even says. When God is talking about man and woman and he says, look, it's not good for man to be alone. He says, I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. In the King James Version, everybody always said, well, it said help meet. And you kind of got this picture of the woman that just came alongside to sort of be subservient and, and help the man and all this stuff. But if you look in the Hebrew language, it's, it's actually this word. It, and it's a word that means a helper comparable to him. What it can really mean is a power facing opposite. In other words, and, and, and the Bible teaches this. Hang with me because this is hard to get. But the Bible teaches that this is actually, first and foremost, the relationship of Christ and his church. Your marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the first marriage, and that is Christ and his church. And Christ looks at his church in the eyes and the church looks back into the face of Jesus Christ. And they say, I'm so in love with you that I will reflect exactly what you look like. And see, Christ has decided that everything that he wants to do in this world, he's not going to do it alone. He is going to do it with somebody who he's intimate with, who's looking him in the eyes, a helper that is comparable to him, a power facing opposite him. That's what the church is. And so when a man is is alone, the scripture says, God said, look, it ain't good that he's alone. He said, I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. I'm going to make a power facing opposite him. That means that I'm going to make a woman that he can look face to face. They can fall in love. They can become one. They can reflect my image. And he says, when they are together, they're going to complement one another in such a way that they're going to actually fulfill the role that I have for them in a greater way than they ever could have alone. But here's the problem. That was the initial plan. But guess what entered into the world? Sin entered into the world. So now when two people get married, and y'all can say amen to this on Valentine's Day weekend. When two people get married, guess what you got that are getting married? You got two broken, jacked up sinners getting married and moving into the same house together. Amen. So I don't know if you realize this or not, but it is very difficult for two selfish, sinning individuals to become one. It's a difficult challenge. And so what God is doing is He's saying, I still want you to become one. That's still the design. But if you will realize and understand that there's a real problem. Both of y'all are selfish. Both of y'all are sinners. It's going to be so hard for y'all to have a good relationship with one another if first and foremost you ain't got a good relationship with God you got to be submitted to God and what His Word says in your life. But then when you two come together, here's the other thing that you're going to understand. God's goal in your life is to make you more like Jesus. You get that, right? But in order for Him to make you more like Jesus, when you get married, it's not just that you got all this help coming from every direction. He is going to allow the flaws of your spouse to refine and purify you. Somebody say amen this morning, right? Man, I'm excited about that. Praise God. It it sounds fun. Thank you, Lord, for my spouse's flaws. Can you just say that under your breath right quick? Thank you, Lord, for my spouse's flaws. Because if it were not for my spouse's flaws, my own flaws would not be magnified. My own flaws would not be brought to the surface. And if they were never brought to the surface, Lord, if my selfishness was never brought to the surface, your Holy Spirit would not begin to be able to identify my issues and start to deal with me. I thought I was the holiest man on the planet until I got married. Amen. I was holy, y'all. I was pure, my Lord. I mean, things were going good. Like, I, I could resist anger for days and days at a time. You could come punch me in the face, and I'd say, just hit me on the other cheek. You know? I mean, I mean, I mean I, like, I, I was, every now and then I floated a little bit. Like, it, and it, <laughs> I, I'm kidding, but the point is, things were going good, and then I got married and it wasn't that, listen, when I got married, Andre, I, I got the best wife that you could ever imagine. But the issue is, is when you are hanging out with somebody else, guess what happens? Your flaws get exposed. And when you start, li- you, you've, you've lived one way for so long and then the other person comes in and they're living a totally different way. And now y'all trying to make that thing merge. There, there's, some, there's some friction in there. You know, fighting's not always bad. It's just that you got to learn how to fight properly, right? Amen you got to learn how to work that through properly and make it work. So you got that, you understand, but you don't realize that 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 God's going to use those flaws, but see becoming one is a difficult challenge I want you to look at scripture now some of these scriptures that I'm reading today they're going to be difficult for people and I want to I want to preface this by saying look everybody on some level we've all we've blown it sexually on some level we've blown it in marriage on some level but I don't want to speak to what we've done or or, or, or bring up our past and bring condemnation into people's lives I want to speak to where you're at right now what God can redeem and what he can restore and what he can fix and the, and, and what he's got for your future. So no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, let me tell you this this morning. The blood of Jesus Christ washes, cleanses, and redeems. Can you say amen to that? The blood of Jesus, it washes, it cleanses, and it redeems. And no matter what we've been through, He can fix things, He can redeem things, and He can set us back on track for what needs to happen in our lives relationally. But look at Malachi 2.15. It says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Now, he's speaking to men in this particular context, because back in those days, women didn't even have the right to divorce. Now a woman can go to the lawyer and she can get a divorce if she wants to. But back in those days, son, a woman couldn't even do that. It was up to the man whether or not divorce was going to happen. So he says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. In other words, notice this. He says, when God brings you two together as one, what he is actually planning on doing is is bringing you into submission to his will. So that when you have children, you can raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they can impact the world for the kingdom. Amen. I heard a preacher one time, he was talking about how you know he don't know he doesn't know why anybody would want to bring children into this old wicked world. Praise God, it's a wicked world. Why would you want to have children? Bless God. And I understand that to some degree. Like it's a scary thing having kids bring them into this world, isn't it? But do you understand that you got the Spirit of God living on the inside of you? If you will submit yourself to the Word of God, you have the ability to raise children that are so filled with the Spirit of God that this world cannot consume them. They will overcome the world by the power of God. They will impact generations and there will be children that were not raised in a godly home that your children, because they were and they're filled with the Spirit, they're going to change the lives of those other kids. That's the mentality. That's the mindset that a Christian should have. Amen. We can't get into that defeatist mentality where we believe, oh, well, it's just a wicked world. It's a tough world. We're just trying to make it to heaven. No, we're trying to impact the culture and transform a generation. And here's the thing. If we can begin to understand this, we're having tons of kids in our church. And my thought is, I remember when we started having kids, even before, we get, we're having kids like every month in here. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're, growing, we're growing the church the old fashioned way. And the Lord started speaking to me before this even happened. And he said, Clay, do you understand that what you see in your days is not even what's the most important thing that you need to focus on. You need to focus on raising the children in, 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 in this family, in this community, because your children are going to do far more. More than you ever dreamed you could and so we got to focus on that folks we've got to focus on how do we become godly families how how do we raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the lord because our children are going to stand on our shoulders and go further into things than we ever dreamed or imagined They're going to see the glory of God in ways that we never were able to tap into because we chose to submit to God, submit to his word and follow his plan. God has planned on saving the world through godly families. Let me finish this. He says, Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now, see, he's saying this over and over again. And he's, and he's basically we're talking about little foxes, aren't we? Now, I, 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 most of the time when, when, when relational issues happen, when divorce happens, it's not something that happens all one day. I mean, sometimes people do blow up one day. Everything's going well. Boom. And, but that's a rare occurrence. Usually it's little foxes, little things over time that creep into our relationship. And because nobody gets married and says, you know what? I'm, I'm excited about getting married. Like I know in, in a couple of years we'll probably get divorced, but I'm excited right now. <laughs> nobody does that on their wedding day. Nobody has that planned something begins to creep into our relationships. It creeps into our homes. It, it creeps into our marriages. It keep, creeps into our relationships with our children. And all of a sudden, before long, day by day goes by and these things begin to infect our relationship. And what I'm preaching this series for is so that we can catch those little foxes that creep in that you think right now they're not that big of a deal, but I'm telling you in a year from now, they're going to be full grown and they're going to be looking to destroy your life. Somebody amen me. This is exciting this morning, Pastor. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, God is looking for, God is looking for families and 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 husbands and leaders who say, you know what? The word of God is more important than television in our home. The word of God is more important than Facebook. Prayer with my family is more important than Xbox. And saying we're going to start to put some things. Amen, y'all. I just slowed down for that one just to put a little sugar on top. But see, we're looking for we're looking for family leaders who say this is what's important. This is what's important. We, we we've got a we've got a family. I don't even think they're here this morning. But the the, uh, the the wolves. I got to go down and have dinner with their entire family, and they got like 12 kids. And and man, they're just. One day I want to have Steve come up and speak to y'all. But the way that they that they that they've raised their children, they they don't. The, the word of God is central in that home, and you can tell it. Like, it, it, so so my point is, when we think about, I don't know about you, but I want to have a family that when somebody hears me preach on Sunday, they don't say, wow, Clay's a, a wonderful preacher of the gospel. Then, he, then they come into my home on a Tuesday night and they're like, wow, it's crazy in here, y'all. And, and and everything's just, everything's out of control. Me and Andre are screaming at each other. My kids are punching holes in the walls. You know what I'm saying? I mean, now, what, what, what kind of... If people were to come into our homes, if people were to come into our homes, would it point them to Jesus? Would it point them to his love? Would it point them to his care if they came into our homes? That's what matters at the end of the day. Forget if they come into our church and we have proper, uh, uh, you know, like child care and, and the sermons are good and the music is good. What happens in our homes on a weekly basis? That's what God is trying to do. But see, here's what you got to understand that whatever God begins, Satan is going to oppose. And this is why it's so difficult. It's hard, isn't it, y'all? Like, And, and you say, well, Clay, you don't know. You don't know. I don't know. That's why I'm saying we're going to the word of God. Pray, All right. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this from a position of I've got this thing figured out. I'm saying this from a position of saying this is what the word of God says. Let's go after it together. Amen. So, whatever, whatever God begins, Satan will oppose. And here's what I want to say is that Satan is already planting seeds of, of, of wickedness in our hearts at a very young age. I know he did it with me. And when I was young, I didn't know much about what, what healthy, godly marriage looked like myself. I had no idea. I was introduced to pornography at probably, I don't even remember now, but I was extremely young. Uh, I I started objectifying women all through my youth. And that's kind of how I didn't know how to treat a woman. Nobody ever really taught me this is how you should value a woman. This is how you should look at a woman. This is how you should treat a woman. And I'm telling you right now, folks, if you as parents don't teach your children this, the world will. The world will. And you say, well, it's a little bit uncomfortable. We ain't trying to talk about sex and stuff, especially in a church house or to my kid. I'm telling you, your kids are already talking about it. They're talking about it when they're in grade school. I was introduced to pornography. We started talking about it when I was in grade school. And, and, and the problem is, is when I was in grade school, you didn't even have a phone that you'd get on the internet on. We, I don't think they even come out with cell phones at that point. At best, you have one of them Nokias where you can play snake with the four buttons. You know what I'm saying? So so there, there, was not, there was not all that stuff that was available. Now it's available, and if we don't talk about it in the church, if we don't talk about it in our families, they're going to get educated in another way, and they are going to learn all the wrong things about sexuality and about marriage and about dating. And you need to talk to your kids about how that should take place. Let me give you some stats right quick. Uh, 93% of boys and 62% of girls see porn before the age of 18. Age 12 to 17 is the largest consumer of porn, and the porn industry right now makes more than if you were to combine Major League Baseball, if you were to combine all professional sporting organizations, the porn industry makes more than all of them combined. It's a billions upon billions of dollars of industry, and the average age of first-time exposure is 11 years old, 11 years old. And our highly sexualized culture lends itself to our divorce rates because in the church and outside of the church, both in and out of the church, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Now, if somebody decides to get married a second time, then actually the divorce rate goes up to 67% for all second marriages. And if they decide to get married a third time, the divorce rate goes up to 73% the third, so the trend is not that. Well, I messed up the first marriage. Let me go for the second. That's not the trend. I'm saying that that, that, that does happen sometimes. People get it and, and they and they decide they they find God. They get married a second time, and and things work out. So I'm not saying that. They, Anything is irredeemable. My point is, is that the trend is far away from God's original design, because I want you to understand this. God, from the beginning, designed that your ultimate pleasure, your ultimate satisfaction, you experiencing the most peace and joy in life is for you to wait and marry a person that you fall in love with and develop a friendship with as you are submitted in relationship to God. And that person is the only person that you have sex with your entire life. And that person is of the opposite sex. That's, that, that's the biblical design. That's the biblical design. And anything that begins to waver from that, well, if you'll notice, it, it, it lends itself to mass destruction in our homes, to brokenness, sexual brokenness, shame. It, it, it lends itself. That's the reason we have abortion. We live in a world now where people will get up and celebrate the fact that they had a right to choose to kill their child so that they could pursue a career. People do that and people will clap and cry and everything when people do that. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's awful, it's terrible. And what, what we should understand is that no, you don't get a right to choose whether or not you, you, you kill your baby or you don't kill your baby. You get a right to choose whether or not you had sex with anybody that creates a baby in the first place. When you have sex, guess what happens? If everything works properly, you're going to have a child. Amen. Amen. I know this is really simple, like this is a 101, but the problem is, is in our world today, it's not 101. And you say, well, I don't know. I, I just disagree with you, Pastor. I just disagree with that. Well, disagree with me on that and find out how much pain you're going to experience falling the other way. It'll, it'll happen. And that's the reason that in our families and in our culture, we're experiencing so much pain. Our homes are broken. Kids are, they don't, they, 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 their, their parents are out of their home, their parents are not around, and, and, and they're broken. And we're trying as a church, we, we have to figure out ways to bring healing into these areas in people's lives. But see, where it begins is in our own homes, folks. If we can't make sure that in our own homes we're modeling this for the world as Christians, then we're not going to be able to, to reach out to the rest of anybody either because we look the same as they do. And again, this is not a word of condemnation because I know when I'm speaking about these topics, like I said, on some level everybody is broken. Like on some if you go back and look at my past, it don't look that great. But there was a day when I met a man named Jesus Christ and he set my life in order. And no no man from the outside came in and said, Clay, you need to get it together. Here's what the word of God says. I got in the word of God for myself. I let it wash over my broken, filthy soul. And I said, Lord, I repent. I've been objectifying women. I've been mistreating people. And I'm ready to to remain pure until, God, you decide for me that this is the person that you need for me to marry. And then I will submit to that and I will do it. And that's what I did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so everybody has an opportunity to say, Lord, I repent. I want to set things in order. And even in our marriages, we're going to go through some things here in a minute. But we want to set those things in order. And God has designed it this way. And he he wants the establishment of the family unit. But if you remember in Genesis, what we just read, as soon as that family unit is established, what happens? The serpent. The serpent. Begins to creep in. He's trying to find a way into your home right now. He might already have a little bit of a way into your home right now. And what we got to identify is little foxes before they come in. And so let me give you I got more points in a porcupine, as Donald says this morning. And so you, you may write a book by the time we're done, but we're going to go through them very quickly. Six little foxes that we must catch. Right. Six little foxes that we must catch. The first one is infidelity. Now we, we this is just this is being unfaithful to your spouse, cheating, right? And we say this is well, you know, surely Clay, you ain't got to tell at the church people. Yeah, you do. Y'all obviously ain't pastored them. When people get married, they say, and I've married over 20 some couples now. And one of the things that we'll say when we're doing our vows is forsaking all others, living only unto you as long as you both shall live. And I wonder how often we actually say those and and whether we whether we mean it or not. Listen to this. Twenty five percent of men, 15 percent of women have committed adultery. One in four men who are married have committed adultery in some way. 15% of women have or had sex with somebody they're not married to. 60% of men and 39% of women say kissing is not cheating. Yeah, I heard that. Somebody about ready to slap somebody right then. (laughs) Whap! Yeah. 55% of married Christian men view porn once a month. Now, when we talk about faithfulness, what are we talking about? Because we're not—I'm I'm not just talking about you. You, you, people. People oftentimes are emotionally unfaithful with other people. There's, the, 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 they don't have healthy boundaries in their relationships with the opposite sex, and you know some, some of the things, Like, like I, sometimes I, I talk to, 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 different, to, to different women that are even in our church sometimes on the phone or, or we text. But I can promise you this: if, if I'm in a conversation with you and you're of the opposite sex, my wife knows about it. You understand what I'm saying? There's no, I'm not hiding any of that stuff. That stuff is out in the open. There's always knowledge of that because you got to be careful about the boundaries that you set in those areas because you could be flirting with something that is, that is a boundary there that, that, that you need to watch out for. Now, how do we end up doing something that we'd never do? Because most people, again, never get married and say, you know what, I believe I'm going to get married and about a year in, I'll probably cheat on him. Nobody says that. Something starts to creep in. And some of you, you've, you've entered into relationships and you've got a lot of hurts, you've got a lot of wounds, you've got a lot of difficult things that you need to talk to somebody about and address those issues. If you've got addictions, if you've, got, if you've been involved in sexual abuse, you need to talk to somebody about that stuff. You need to open up and, and say, man, I need to deal with some of these issues and, and get some help in those areas. But see, we bring a lot of baggage into these relationships, and we have these issues and we've never even addressed them once and we think that our relationship is going to go just just all peachy and it's just not the case. Now one of the things is is, is, is and this is for single people, one don't rush into any relationships. And two, here's the other thing. Good Christian people, what I've noticed about them is they will rush into marriage because because They want to have sex, but they want to do it the right way. And I promise you that usually never works. You got to take some time to get to know your spouse and figure out if y'all are actually friends first. Amen. Like it, that, that's why, that's why God designed it the way that he did. He designed it the way that he did so that there would be courtship. You would develop a friendship with that person. And from that friendship, your love would be being cultivated. But every relationship that is just based on sex, whenever the, when, whenever the stuff hits the fan, it begins to shatter and crumble because you're, you've built it on a faulty foundation. At the end of the day, sex ain't going to hold your marriage together, right? Everybody gets old things. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Right. We don't look as good as we did several years back. Secondly, don't put yourself in the wrong situation. The Bible says flee sexual immorality. And you know that the scripture says put no confidence in the flesh. I've told this before. It's a really funny joke. But we were in a small group one time at a, pastor, at a church I used to pastor. And this young woman said, said, you know what, Clay? I, I mean, the thing about you is you're different. I, I'd trust you in a room full of naked women. I looked at her like, what in the world are you talking about? I said, I wouldn't trust me in a room full of naked women. You put no confidence in the flesh. First of all, what in the world am I doing in a room full of naked women? <laughs> you don't put yourself in a situation that could tempt you to do something. Look, look, listen to me, folks. If you struggle with getting too intimate with your computer, put it in a public place where you'd have to do whatever you'd have to do in front of somebody else. Start living in a way where purity is actually a big part of you. You want to live for God. You're saying, hey, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing dumb stuff. The, and, and, and secondly, I know y'all are going to laugh at this. I knew this was going to be a messed up sermon, but I'm going to just finish it. Y'all with me? <laughs> the best defense is a good offense. Here's what Proverbs 5 says. Now, this is just Bible, y'all. Listen to this. It says, my son, share your love with your wife alone. Drink from her well of pleasure and from no other. Why would you have sex with a stranger or with anyone other than her? Reserve this pleasure for you and her alone and not with another. Your sex life will be blessed as you take joy and pleasure in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts be your satisfaction. Happy Valentine's Day, y'all. I mean, <laughs> and let her embrace intoxicate you at all times. Be continually delighted and ravished with her love. My son, why would you be exhilarated by an adulteress, by embracing a woman who is not yours?" You know, the book of Proverbs has more to say on this subject than any other subject throughout scripture. It talks about wisdom, which is one of the most important subjects. But in Proverbs chapter five and the entire chapter of Proverbs chapter seven is about the adulterer who lures you away with her looks and with her beauty and with this seduction and all this. And he's trying to say, do not give in when you start to see that stuff, folks, you don't realize that it looks good on the outside. But the goal of that thing is to seduce you until you are shot through the, liver with an arrow and you bleed out. That's what the Scripture says. And so there's a reason this stuff is in there because he's saying, look, I know nobody wants to talk about it because it's weird. And there'll be probably even somebody in here this morning saying, I can't believe a pastor would get up and say stuff like that. Y'all are thinking about it in your minds. Might as well address it from behind the pulpit. Amen. Let me tell you this, and and this is something that, that, that has really stuck with me. The Lord told me this early on. He said, Clay, I need you to understand something as a young man. Your spouse is your standard of beauty. Your spouse is your standard of beauty. What does that mean? That means that I don't ever even compare anybody to the beauty of my wife because as far as I'm concerned, she's the most beautiful thing in the history of time. But guess what? Even if you think your wife is more beautiful than mine, you'll never catch me comparing because I've got my own standard and she's it. And there's never anything else that's going to come in comparison to that as long as we live because she is my standard of beauty. And I'm not going to behold somebody else and say, well, you know what? She looks pretty good. She might look a little bit better. No, you know, you don't even go there. You don't get to go there. She is your standard of beauty. Let me give you the second fox. Let me move on. The second fox is entropy. Now, this is a big, crazy word. But entropy just means that when you don't use it, it starts to die. It's a gradual decline. It's, it's, you, see, because our relationships can often begin like a blazing fire. But if you don't keep adding fuel to the fire, it gets very dull. And all of a sudden nothing's going on. What does that mean? That means that you've got to learn to study your spouse. Man, my woman, she, you know what? She don't like flowers. But if I wash the dishes, son, I have done. You know what I'm talking about? We, we joke around like I wash the dishes, you know, and, then she, and, and then she'll come around the corner and I'll just be like, yeah. Yeah. But you learn your spouse, you learn what pleases them, and then you go out of your way to do what, you know, pleases them. You have to keep that fire going. You have to never stop pursuing. Scripture says that you cleave unto your wife. The word means that you catch by pursuit. That means you never actually stop pursuing her. You're constantly pursuing her. You're constantly trying to figure out ways to express your love to her mo- to more and more and more. And this thing is going on in your life. But again, see, you've got you to develop your friendship. Some of these young men, man, I, I counsel with them and... Uh, talk to these guys and sometimes they come out of Chad's Hope or different places and man, they want a woman like you would not believe. And that's understandable. God's kind of programmed you for that. You're a man. There's women out there. Praise God. But you have got to hit the pause button on your impulses because you got to develop a friendship with somebody and you got to test sometimes. If you cannot go a year without having sex with a woman that you're developing a friendship with, then you probably not passed the test of being able to actually marry her. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah, this is good here. Thirdly, let me give you another little thing here. It's blame. You let this little fox in and before long it's going to spoil a lot of your vineyard. Blame. Everybody needs a scapegoat. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I tell Andrea, we, we, we got a little voice. I'll try not to share it, but we have a little voice that's kind of private between us. But I, I say, but you're my little scapegoat, you know. And what I mean by that is, what I mean by that is, if something goes wrong, it ain't my fault. i got to have somebody to blame. You all know what I'm talking about? So I'm blaming her. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm blaming her. Now, that's, that's bad. And, 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 and the point is, I make a joke about it because I say, I, I need a scapegoat. I need, I, even though this is my fault, I want to, I'm just going to go ahead and blame you for it. That's not good, folks. You don't do that. People Here's the truth, though. People don't want to take responsibility for their actions. And when blame creeps in, blame spends a whole lot of time pointing out their toxic behavior without ever looking at the fact that I could be contributing a lot of toxic behavior myself. Amen. Before you bring judgment on your spouse, make sure you got yourself cleaned up first and that you're not working into blame. See, blame uses the language of this a lot. Always and never. You always. Anybody amen there? I heard like there's like 12 people's eyes lit up. I said that yesterday. (laughs) Or you never. Well, let's be honest. It's not that they never. I mean, sometimes they actually do do it. They just messed up this one time and you're freaking out. Right. So don't slip into that always and never behavior because it's not it's just not true. But fourthly, sometimes when you blame, then you start slipping into this sea of comparison. Number four, comparison. The grass is always greener on the other side. I know some of y'all, you get on Instagram and you see some big handsome man getting his wife flowers and you start, y'all start you start comparing your husband to him and, and you say, man, I wish I had somebody love me like that. And, <laughs> and, 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 and all, this, all this stuff comes in. Now, again, you married the person. You don't have a legal right to compare. And secondly, I guarantee you that junk on Instagram's a lie anyway. Air, you, you would not believe the people that, 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 that I've sat down and talked to. And they got like, I mean, utter chaos is going on. But the very next day, it's one of the most lovey-dovey posts you've ever seen in your life. It's mind-blowing. I think I'm just going to start like every time a fight breaks out in my house, I'm going to start posting it on Instagram. Well, me and Ann fought again. Here's a picture just after I said that, you know. <laughs> ain't, ain't nobody doing that. How come? You know what I'm saying? But that comparison starts to creep in. You ever done it? You ever compared? You ever compared? And you do that and then you start comparing. Let me tell you this. Comparison is the opposite of gratitude. Comparison is the opposite of gratitude. When you're not thankful for what the Lord has given you, you start comparing to other situations, other places, other people thinking, man, I wish it was this way. And it's because you don't have any thanksgiving in your heart. But five... After you get into that sea of comparison, then all of a sudden you enter into withdrawal. You start giving your spouse the cold shoulder. You know, you withdraw, you're playing, you're giving them the cold shoulder, you're giving them the silent treatment. Sometimes people withdraw into all sorts of different things, all sorts of different behavior. And see, when you withdraw, you are actually undermining any chance for forgiveness or reconciliation or healing. I remember, and here's the thing, if the Holy Spirit is actually guiding your life, He ain't going to let you do this. I promise you. I remember when Andre and I first got married, we were living in Barberville when we first got married. And, and, and I, I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak to me so strongly. We had a big fight and she just went in there and shut the door and she was going to bed. I said, yeah, you going to go to bed. I ain't. And I was sitting there watching TV, just going to let it happen. And I felt the Holy Spirit overwhelm me. And, and he, dropped the, he dropped the scripture in my heart that said, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And he so hit me with that that I, we've never been able to do it since. We have not went. We went to bed angry at each other before, or, or we, I'll, I'll say it, we've we've. It's been late and we've been angry at each other, but never have we ever stopped without saying, "Look, forgive me. I'm sorry. I was wrong." We just don't allow that stuff because if you let that thing go one night, you wake up on it. You don't have time to deal with it the next day. You go through mulling on the day over, it, and, and that bitterness is taking root in your heart. You're withdrawing. You get home, you still got the cold shoulder. I'm going to wait on him to do it. He's going to have to say something to me. And all that stuff just starts to leak in. And you need to take the high road. You need to humble yourself. You need to apologize. Amen. This is good. Number six. Number six. I told you I got a lot of points. We may get through this. Golly. It's getting late. Excessive individuality. But here's the truth of the matter. Every, you know, I, I got in the habit of this. I, I call Andre. I say, I say, hey, get your car over. You know, Clean up your house. There are no personal singular pronouns in this thing. What, what's hers is yours. What's yours is hers. And the American culture begins to decide that, well, it's important that you maintain your individuality. No, you all have become one. Okay? That means you don't get to be an individual any longer. When you seek each other's desires... You are actually benefiting yourself. Somebody amen me right there. When I seek my wife's desire, I'm benefiting myself. But see, just not failing in a relationship is not enough. God wants us to thrive, and it's our relationships that He wants to pump His blessing through. Now, I'm not going to read these scriptures, but in John uh, chapter 2, Jesus does His first miracle. He goes to a wedding. He's invited to a wedding. Amen. Notice that He was invited in John chapter 2, because you have to be the one that invites Jesus into your home, invites Jesus... To your wedding and into your marriage. And that's up to you. So he was invited and they run out of wine. Right. And so Jesus, mother, Mary, says, hey, y'all come over here. He going. He going to tell you all what to do. You just do it. He said, woman, it ain't even my time. What in the world's going on? And, and, And he said and she says, just do what he says. And they had six water pots there. All right. I like in the King James version version. It said they had 30 firkins of water. I dare you to go to McDonald's or Wendy's or somewhere here and say, hey, y'all care to give me a a firkin of Coke right quick? (laughs) 30 firkins. So he says, he says, he says, look, these these six water pots fill them with water and they fill them with water and it says in verse seven, you put verse seven up there for me in John John chapter, uh, uh, yeah, it says, and they filled them up to the brim. I love that. They didn't just fill them up. They didn't go halfway. They decided, you know what? I'm about to see a miracle right here. I'm going to fill this sucker up to the brim. And if you want to see a miracle in your relationships, if you want to see a miracle in your church, you can't go halfway with stuff. If you want to see a miracle in your marriage, you can't go halfway. You get to determine how much of a miracle is released in your life. This man produced all kinds. He turned the water, the bland, the, 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 the thing that had no flavor that had no life, he turned it into wine, but they had it filled up to the brim. You have a part to play in your miracle. And it's not just about avoiding the wrong things. It's about filling up the right things in your marriage. Amen. So let's go through six of them real quick and we'll we'll be done. So six water pots that you need to fill up to the brim in order for Jesus to turn the blandness of your relationship into a celebration of life. And the first one is to make time. You've got to fill up the water pot of making time. And that means that, look, I don't know about y'all, but in our lives right now, man, our cell phones, they, they, like I told you, the average person uses their cell phones over six hours a day screen time. Ah, man, that's a lot of time. And I mean, I, I got to be honest with you, I use mine more than I should. And it, it becomes very addictive. But on some level, what you got to do is find out what is eating your time. You have got to make time for communication with God. And you've got to make time for communication with your spouse. If y'all don't sit and talk, there's going to be all kinds of blind spots that creep into your life. Because you're not allowing each other to know how you feel about things. You don't know what's going on in each other's lives. You've got to make time and you've got to bring communication into that place, and you got to fill that up. Secondly, you've got to assume the best. And I know there's a reason I gave you all a notepad, because you got to write this down. No way you remember all this stuff. Secondly, you've got to assume the best. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this. When it talks about love, it says, Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Notice this. It is not easily angered. That word easily angered can mean to be overly sensitive. It can mean having sharp edges. You get angry just at the drop of a hat. Somebody says something to you, it's not your way, when you want it, how you want it. Man, I'm going to respond with anger. Can Can I tell you that a lot of times when you respond with anger, the truth is you're just trying to manipulate the situation. Amen. It keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Notice verse 7 in the Passion Translation. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. It never stops looking, never stops believing the best for others. In other words, you can never assume that they meant to hurt you assume that they love you. Assume that something else is going wrong. Don't ever assume that they actually meant to hurt you and cause you harm. That was not their goal and love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, I know a lot of times in marriage, because whenever I do any kind of marriage counseling, they actually come in and the first thing they do is unload the laundry list of all the wrongs. Oh, this is what they've done. Boom, let me have that laundry list. And then i say, well, let me take that list. We're going to tear that up because we're not keeping a record of wrongs. Now, we can address those issues, but you don't get to bring these up after today." day. Somebody amen me. Keeps no record of wrongs. Number three, well, let me say this. We only got one scorecard in our marriage. It's not you versus them. It's you all versus everything else. And when one wins, y'all both lose. When one wins, you both lose. So you need to figure out how to get on the same scorecard and work together. Number three is know your role. One of the things when people talk to, you know, about... Which, Andre and I, we've been married just a little bit over five years. And somebody, and I was talking to one of my buddies. He's from out of town, so I can use him, but... But he, he'd been married just a little bit longer than me. He said, man, y'all been married five years now on our last, last thing. He said, gosh, I bet this last year was tough. Usually that fourth year like when it, when it really stuck. And I was being totally honest with him. I said, man, I don't know why people keep saying this stuff. I said, I promise you that I feel like marriage has gotten better every year and it gets deeper. And I find out more about the love of God. Because if you're led by the Holy Spirit, God's just going to reveal more and more love to you. Because there's so much untapped potential in his love and in every relationship that you have. If you are not experiencing that, you need to check your relationship with God and say, Holy Spirit, why am I not learning love more? If I'm going from glory to glory, if I'm going from faith to faith, my marriage should actually be getting better every year because I'm becoming a more loving person. Amen. And so we want that. And, I, and I'm not saying that to boast, I'm just saying that you, you have to learn to do that. But one of the things is that we do know our role. And the role is this it's mutual submission. Now, I know Scripture, you know, people, people love, the verse, especially men, they love the verse. They love it when it says, you know, wives, submit to your husbands. And, and the picture you get when you say that is like the husband just sitting over here on the couch, you know, just like drinking a pop and saying, hey, get over and do that right quick. You know, that, that's kind of the picture you get. I promise you, that's not the biblical picture, Okay. The biblical picture is not that a woman just is subservient to this dude who bosses somebody around because the biblical picture is Christ and his church. Can you ever imagine Christ giving his church a commandment like that? No. matter of fact, it says that Jesus comes to his church and he stoops down and he washes their feet. Yeah, he gives them a command, but not before he makes them breakfast. He says, go into all the world. What does he do first? He gets up early in the morning, makes them fish, gives them breakfast, washes their feet. Then he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In other words, you lead by serving as a man. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. But then right there in Ephesians 5, right after that, it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her by the washing and the cleansing of the water of the word. So yeah, wives are to submit to their husbands, but husbands are to to lead like Christ led the church and they are to lay down their lives for their wives. And they are to wash their wives with the water of their word so that they speak the purpose and the destiny into their wives. That's your responsibility as a husband. Amen. Y'all good? So fourth, go the extra mile. I got to fill up this, this firkin. No. I got to fill up this water pot of going the extra mile Matthew 5:41 says and whoever compels you to go one mile go with him too in Jesus' time a Roman soldier had a legal right to come to any man on the side of the road and say look I'm carrying this up here you gotta carry this one mile with me he had a Legal, if you didn't carry you, they would punish you. That was a law instituted by the Roman government at that time. And so Jesus said, you know what? I know y'all don't like them Romans, especially when they come and they tell you to carry something one mile because it's in the law. He said, you know what? If they ask you to carry it one mile, take it two. He's saying you're taking the high road. You're saying, you know what? I don't like this, but it don't matter because I'm going to just show you how, how, much, how much service I can bring. In my life, Christian marriage should look like two people trying to outserve each other. And so you're not looking for your spouse to meet you halfway. You're trying to go the extra mile right out of the gate and you're trying to learn how to outserve one another. See, because if you're keeping chart and you're saying, well, I did this much. He needs to do this much. And she did. I did this much. She needs to do this much. If you're doing that, you're missing the whole point. You need to lead in service to one another until finally y'all get to the point where you're out serving one another. Amen. Number five, identify victories. Catch them doing something right and show your appreciation. Now, are you congratulatory or are you corrective? Do you spend more time correcting your spouse or do you spend more time finding what they're doing right and encouraging that behavior and bringing them congratulations and applauding them? What are you doing with that time? Now, I've been waiting all day just to read this Bible verse. All right, y'all ready? Proverbs twenty-one, nineteen. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. <laughs> Somebody said, Amen. You know that Solomon actually wrote this same proverb in a different way four different times in Proverbs. But you know the dude had a lot of wives too. Like I know, I know it was rough on him. He had a hard time. But he's, he's trying to point out, you know what? You better make sure you're marrying the right woman. And secondly, uh, wives, notice, notice if you're just being a constant nag. You know what I'm saying? But men, men can be the same way. Yeah. Easy now, women. <laughs> be subjected here in the church house. <laughs> just kidding. All right, last one. Last one, naked and unashamed. Now, that was uh-oh. <clears throat> but you know, in the Scripture, it said what we just read. It said, and, and and the man and his wife, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Now, really what he was saying is, obviously, they were clothed with the glory of God, so they didn't have to have clothing. They weren't, they weren't ashamed. And then when sin came in, they re- realized their nakedness. But here's the real issue. What, what Scripture is trying to teach here is that they were open and vulnerable, and they could freely be themselves. You know how, how many of us, we actually live our lives and we are afraid to open up to anybody to let anybody know our true selves. And love isn't really love until the person is fully known. Do you realize that it says in heaven, when we see God face to face and we see Jesus face to face and this love has filled our heart, it says that we will then know even as we are fully known. I don't know about you, but, but I know in my own lives in my own life, in our relationships, we're growing in fully knowledge. There, 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 there's things about me probably that I don't want all of you all to know. You know what I'm talking about. I'm a little bit ashamed of certain areas in my life. And what God is saying is true love is when you can finally come to a place where you can be vulnerable and open and bear all and know that when that person fully knows you, they don't reject you, but they love you even more. And that's what he said. He said they were naked and they were unashamed. So what you've got to build is you've got to build that intimacy. You've got to be able to share your heart, your secrets, and open up and be vulnerable first and foremost with God. But you also got to be vulnerable and open with your spouse and with yourself and say, this is who I am. And I'm, I need... Because, because if you don't open up, if you hide all these things, you're never going to really open up to the point where you can receive true love from God or from anyone else. So you've got to learn to open up. And here's the thing. We don't want anything in our relationships that will make us hide and keep secrets. And here's what I want you to know, and this is, this is where, we, where we end it all, is, is that in, in your marriage and in your life, you gotta constantly let the blood of Jesus wash over that thing. Because I am full of faults. I am full of brokenness and even pain and past wounds and hurts. And if it were not for the blood of Jesus that constantly cleanses me and purifies me. And, and I hear the voice of my father saying, Clay, you're not who you used to be. You're a new creation. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. The spirit of God lives on the inside of you. And you are not the mistakes that you've made. You're not any of those things. So I want this morning for you to understand that, that the blood of Jesus comes to cleanse you, to give you forgiveness, to give you healing. And even when there's been mistakes in your marriage, like you could start right here today and say, you know what, we've made a couple of mistakes, but guess what? We're human beings and we're broken and we're flawed and that's all right. We've made some mistakes. That don't mean our marriage is over. God still has good intentions for it. Well, honey, we're going to let the blood of Jesus come in and cleanse these mistakes and say, you know what? Because, because here's the thing with a sermon like this, if you preach a sermon like this on balance, It's like everybody just writing down Arsenal to go home and say, well, you know, he said that right there and you've been doing that. (laughs) Don't use it as an arsenal. Use it on how you can practice and make changes yourself. You don't use it as an arsenal against your spouse. You use it to bring change into your own life and you say, look, I want to get better. If you're going to talk to your spouse about something when you go home, say, I want to get better. I want to get better. Let's both get better. Let's do this together. Amen. I want you to stand on your feet with me. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I, how many of you think, you know what? Actually, I feel like maybe the Holy Spirit did say something to me. I know there was a lot of jokes in that, but I figured I needed to lighten the, the mood a little bit. But here's what I want to do. I want you to just bow your heads for a moment. Let's just bow our heads. Let's pray together. If you're there with your spouse, maybe you can take them by the hand. If you're there with yourself as an individual and you're single you can just put your hand on your heart pray for yourself because i believe that the holy spirit is going to do something right now you know for single folks i want to say this i want to say that that the lord's got you right where he needs you and and sometimes being single is the greatest blessing paul said it was even better for you to remain single that you could serve the lord without distraction and if the lord would have somebody for you he'll bring that in the right time as long as you're putting Jesus first. Amen. And Lord, right now there's people that, that, that they, need a, they need a relationship with you, Jesus. And I pray first and foremost that, that our relationship with you would be restored, Jesus. And we just receive the fullness of what your blood does. Your blood washes us. Your blood cleanses us. Your blood gives us new life, and we receive that cleansing afresh. And God, we receive that cleansing right now in our marriages and in our homes. And Father, I pray that the husbands and the wives and even the children, God, that there would just be an impartation today of your Holy Spirit in your presence to bring about healing, to bring about reconciliation. And Lord Jesus, that our marriages and our families would become a reflection of your goodness and your holiness and your purity, Lord Jesus. And God, just that when people look at our families, Lord, they would say, man, I I see Jesus in that. I see a better way. And it would lead people to Christ. That's what we want to see, Father. So we thank you for it, God. We ask those things in your holy name. And we thank you for it, God. Jesus' mighty name. I want you all to just uh, take some time. I want you to just pray. We've got a baptism we're going to do here in just a moment. But just they're going to sing one song as we transition into baptism right here. And at your seat, you can pray. You can come forward and pray if you'd like. But listen, if you need prayer for something specific, I'd like for some of our people that, that, do, that do pray just to come forward and maybe be available. Because if you need prayer for healing in your body, in your heart, in your marriage, or if you want, you want to say, man, I'd like to talk to somebody about giving my life to Jesus and getting things in order, please come forward and let us know. We'd love to pray with you. But just let's take a minute together here. Let's worship just for a moment.